Welcome to Season 2, Episode 2 of Infinitely Prefer a Book. Today, I'm chatting with my friend Brianna about Be Frank With Me by Julia Claiborne Johnson. Today's guest is a familiar voice from Season 1, my friend Brianna. Brianna, welcome back. Hi, Catherine. Hi, listeners. So... (laughs) What is new with you since you last came on the podcast almost a year ago, really? Yes. A year ago, I was a military spouse at Fort Bragg, and now I am a regular person in St. Louis, Missouri. But I've started a podcast for military spouses. So last year, I was saying that I was working on my blog, brightonbase.com, and I'm still working on that. And now I've created a podcast, Bright on Base, to go with the blog. That's really cool. I have yet to listen to your first episode, um, and it's on my to-do list, so I'm really excited. It's fun that we're kind of both podcasters now, although I think you're going to be a lot more professional than me because you just, you take it to the next level, so that's really exciting. (laughs) Well, you sounded pretty professional just now. I'll give you that. (laughs) Well, thank you. You That part of it is a lot... It takes a lot of work to figure out how to say things because all people have is your voice. Whereas when you're writing, you can use a lot of, I mean, you don't have to do as much performance when you write. And if you're making a YouTube video, then you can use your face and hand gestures and all that. But with spoken word, you just have to say it the right way. Get the tone and inflection, speed all that perfect so I admire you Catherine (laughs) thanks those are some good points I really like listening to spoken word I look like we've talked in the past I like podcasts a lot I'm getting into audiobooks a little bit more but definitely so much it can be conveyed through voice but it takes a lot of work and takes it's a little bit more I guess it's kind of a cousin to reading to me because it takes a lot of imagination on the listener's part to really fill in some of the details but it takes a lot of work on the producer's part because they have to provide enough interesting details to kind of paint that picture so that's that's a good point I really thought of that I hadn't thought about that specific point so (laughs) we're coaching each other I know. Well, I'm excited to learn more from you. I feel like you're always teaching me about new resources and things that I should be using on my podcast and on and in in life in general. So I'd say that's really awesome. That's probably because I spend too much time watching YouTube. What do you watch when you watch YouTube? Oh my goodness, any number of things. Today I watched a video of a man making. He was making a dish, a lobster dish, but with a. It's not even a, well, I guess it's a fungus that grows on mushrooms. So it's like a mushroom, but it's a fungus. And I know mushrooms is a fungus, but this was something different. <laughs> anyway, it's a fungus that looks and tastes like lobster. So that's what I watched hmm. today. Now, of course, I don't learn podcast tips from that, but I've consumed enough content <laughs> in regards to podcasting. Yeah. Although what I just told you, I didn't learn from podcasting. I just learned from my experience with all three mediums. Let's see. I watch a lot of food stuff because I'm on a diet right now. So <laughs> that is always So everything looks amazing. Yeah, yes. sure. I found this channel where the woman tries a bunch of tasty recipes, you know, like the bud, mm, BuzzFeed like the, yeah. extension. So that one's cute. It's Rachel Loves Life. Interesting. Um, I watched a bunch of Ayanla Fix My Life excerpts since I don't have cable, so I can't watch it on TV. <laughs> and I watch like urban gossip channels, which is kind of stupid, but I don't know. Sometimes it's it's like a... A soap opera to watch these mm-hmm. people's lives. Yeah. Even though it's I think like it kind of be life. relaxing sometimes because it's like you, you, you're you looking at someone else's life and you don't have to deal with any of the problems that are on there <laughs> and you just kind of get to like veg out and, and kind of watch people's lives. Well, unfold. honestly, that's one of the reasons I might skip something. I will only watch stuff that's like kind of pointless or if it's information I need to know. But I don't really want to hear a whole lot about like Lil Fizz's baby mama drama because that's stressful. (laughs) (laughs) So that's where I'm at. (laughs) That's good. What have you been reading lately? Anything that you would um, 
want to recommend to me or to our listeners? Mm. Okay, let's see. I took a break from novels over the last year. I've done a lot of self-improvement, self-help, or personal development, I should say. But I'm getting back into the novels. So reading Be Frank With Me was good for me. I also read a book called Maybe You Should Talk to Someone, which is a book about therapy. But it's like written by a therapist. So to me, it's for people who are interested in therapy with some story to it, as opposed to a story with a lot of therapy conversation. So that was an interesting read. I was kind of like, "Mm." but there was this one thing she talked about that I felt applied to me and, and has taken me on a jag for like a month, just considering if I have this personality construct. So I'm a little bit intense and hypochondriacal at times. So (laughs) there's that. Other than that, I've read a book that's pretty much about law of attraction called Lucky B. I won't use the full word on this here podcast, but why thank you. It's written by Denise Duffield Thomas and she talks about how she did all these things to attract outcomes she's wanted. And I've con- I've I've learned a lot about the law of attraction from YouTube. And there's a lot of sometimes if you're into law of attraction, you know what I'm saying? Like some of it's kind of like You can't just want stuff. You have to like do stuff or it gets kind of old. And this one I liked because she was more about aligning your life with the things that you want. So in the book, she and her husband go on a six month honeymoon because they won a contest to try out all these honeymoon spots. They won a contest to try out all these honeymoon spots. And she talks about what she did to make that happen in her life. And one of the things she did was they resigned from their jobs before they even knew that they won. And they also sublet their apartment as a way to kind of like align the energy for them to get. So I thought that was interesting. And then the last book I have going, I use Audible. I don't read. I don't physically read books anymore. Oh, no, I have two books. The other books I have are The Circle Maker which is about prayer and praying like with a strategy. So I'm interested in that because there's some things in my life that I want to change with prayer. And I know I'm like, what, 18 years late, but I've been listening to Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. (laughs) That's so cool. Had you never read Harry Potter before at all? I tried when I was in sixth grade. I remember my friend and I would each read a page to each other and I got 30 pages mm-hmm. in and I was not interested so now what do you th- I had told you I was reading it and you and how there you can't look away from this book it's so action right and you were talking about how there's not a lot of introspection because it's meant for children so children aren't like wondering how he felt about his mom in his childhood like they're not thinking about all that mm-hmm. and so I can appreciate that but it's also for children so I'm kind of having a hard time finishing it (laughs) I can listen to like 15 minutes at a time because you know they're chasing Snape or trying to capture the source (laughs) but like all these things I barely know what's going on I mean like I know but I don't really know so I'm just waiting to finish it and then watch the movie yeah 14 I think um yeah I know Right. Well, I have to say, I've never seen the last three or four movies. I read, I read all the books. My mom read them out loud to us, except for like the last book. I had come home from college and it had come out and my mom like bought like three or four copies for us, all the younger kids to just read on our own. Cause we're like, you read too slow. You want to get through this book. I will say like the Sorcerer's Stone is the simplest book for sure. And it's definitely follows it's very much like a kid novel. I, I would say that Harry Potter grows up with the reader in a lot mm. of ways. And so the book becomes more, books become more complex for sure. Although I, I haven't reread, I reread The Sorcerer's Stone and Chamber of Secrets, but I have not reread most of the other ones. For a while, I was trying to every October read one of the books. So I, I did that for like two years in a row. And then not a while. I kind of fell off the... It's just two years in a row. <laughs> I know. Well, you know... <laughs> Anyway, but I would like to reread them just because they were read to me. And it was kind of funny because like 
my mom wouldn't let us tell each other to shut up. Like that was a bad word in our house. And when I was reading the books one time, Harry and Ron would tell each other to shut up. And I realized that my mom had edited that as she read it. She would like say, be quiet, Ron, or something. And I was like, oh my gosh, mom, you were totally editing this book. And I didn't realize it. So So it was kind of funny because it's like, it's like the simplest thing, but. It's also funny that she she read it to you when you were a teenager yeah so my mom yeah we were kind of a read aloud family that was one of the things that we did so it was just kind of like a way instead of like watching tv together not that we didn't do that sometimes too but it was another way to connect where my mom would read a book to me and my younger siblings or mostly me and my younger siblings my older siblings we like there was kind of an age gap where they weren't present as much for the most of my remembering um of being read to but yeah so it's kind of fun. It was, it's really fun to kind of experience a book together. It's kind of like watching a really long movie together over time. You know, anytime we have a little downtime in the car while we're waiting for something, we read. That's a really good idea because watching TV is the same, except we don't, we barely even pay attention when we watch TV at this point. When I started dating my husband, he didn't have a smartphone and this is 2012. So he didn't have a smartphone and he would get upset if we were watching something and I would text or be on Facebook. Mm. He would say, you need to be present. You need to watch this. If you're going to watch it, watch it. And now there is not a single time when you can find him simply watching. And I actually try to do that. I try to just do one thing at a time. Why do we need to do five things at a time? Just be present. We're like half enjoying two things or we can wholly enjoy one thing. When the reclusive one-hit wonder best-selling author M.M. Banning, Mimi, decides to come out of retirement to write one more book, Her publisher pulls out all the stops, including sending one of their associates, Alice, to be a caretaker for Mimi's young son, Frank. With Frank's quirky personality and fascination for old Hollywood films, there's never a dull moment when Frank is around. Alice has her hands full keeping up with Frank and unraveling the mystery of Mimi's longtime friend, Xander, while wondering if Mimi will ever get her book finished so Alice can return home. Spoilers ahead. Brianna, um, when I asked you to come back on um, season two, I gave you a list of books. This time, last time, I, and sadly, I had already decided which book I was going to read as my first episode, and I and I begged you to be, be my first guest and be go through the um, be my guinea pig and hold my hand through that process. Um, but this time, I actually gave you the luxury of looking at a book list. Um, so, what what about the book kind of spoke to you, um, and why did you choose it? Well, there's something you have to know about me. I don't like having a lot of options. It overwhelms me. And when I get in that state, I will, if I'm at a restaurant, I will just pick whatever has pictures. But in this case, there were no pictures. And I believe Be Frank With Me was the first book on the list. And I am a pretty matter-of-fact person. You might call it Frank. So the title resonated with me on its own. However, the book is not, I mean, yes, he is Frank. He's Frank because like his name is Frank, but he's also like matter of fact and straightforward because he has autism. So I guess I did correctly identify with the book, except I don't have autism. So you and Frank have a little bit in common in the fact that you guys are both direct, but you you maybe have a little bit more nuance and ability to see the nuance than Frank was able to. Yes, I would hope more than a little bit more. <laughs> you know, my husband always, I don't, it's not really a joke. It's kind of like an accusation that I am on the spectrum because I didn't realize Jim and Pam were in love with each other. From the office. Yes, for quite a while. But in my defense, I was introduced to the office in, I think, season three when Jim was dating Karen. So, Mm. and I don't always pick up on stuff. you didn't realize the backstory. Yeah. That was when I was 19. So I was more, I, I didn't really know anything about romance and nuance. So speaking of Frank, he was definitely the main event in the book. Um, what did what was your impression of him? Frank was very sweet. And another thing to know, I listened to the book and the performance was excellent. The narrator was one of my favorite voice actors, Tavia Gilbert. She's excellent. She narrated a book, a series actually, that I really like called white girl problems and to go back to me not realizing Jim and Pam 
were in love with each other. I didn't realize this was a fictional book until like, I think the end of the second book. Wait, are you talking about White Girl Problems? Yes. I really liked that book. Tavia Gilbert read it. She was the narrator. And um, I didn't realize that that book was not a memoir. It was just. That's interesting. by, I'll find out here in a second. Oh, it's by Babe Walker. Anyway, she did an excellent job performing Frank. The way she delivered his lines were very monotone and sorrowful. And so that obviously contributed to how I, my impression of Frank. So I, I found him to be endearing, but also just simply peculiar, peculiar. And of course, well, sweet and endearing are the same words. So endearing and peculiar, but I can't say peculiar, endearing and peculiar. How did you find him? I liked him. He was fun. I thought he brought life to the book in a way. Um, I really enjoyed his, his caric- caricatures or characters that he would kind of present. It just kind of gave him a little, yeah, kind of made it interesting. And he was, he was really fun. I thought that the author did a good job of just giving him a personality that was consistent. You could kind of just imagine a little boy who wears top hats and suits kind of very solemnly or seriously discussing classic films and things. I think that just, it really came alive for me in that way. Yes. The detail about him being obsessed with this old Hollywood was so it was that it was very rich to me because he had so much information to share that I'm sure we don't really know. Mm -hmm. And it added a lot to the story for me because there is a mystique about old Hollywood for me. I'm I'm kind of Mm -hmm. obsessed with that time period and with fame in general, not that I want to be famous, but I think the evolution of fame is very interesting. So for him to have so many facts about it and be so intimate with the details was very interesting and unique. I haven't seen mm-hmm. I haven't met another character like that. Had you seen a lot of the films that he referenced, referenced in the Girl, book? No, <laughs> I just wondered. I don't think I've seen any of, well, the wizard of Oz. Okay. Which he didn't really reference. He kind of did. He said that um, they almost took Somewhere Over the Rainbow out of the movie. Yeah, it kind of, I don't know, it made me want to kind of reach out and watch some of those old movies. But I thought it was really interesting and kind of how his growing up in California, Hollywood adjacent, essentially, kind of influenced that becoming his area of expertise. And the, you know, the ability, a lot of costume shops and things like that are more available in that area of the country and stuff. I would say so too. I didn't think about it being location specific, Mm -hmm. that particular fixation. When I was thinking and reflecting back on what really was the point of the book it came down to me to relationships and so that was really kind of the take home and learning from people that we come into contact with which relationship in the book was your favorite definitely frank and alice Mm-hmm. Although Mimi and Alice's relationship did a lot for me because it was so tenuous and she was mm-hmm. so rude. Mimi, Mimi was. was so rude to Alice. Yeah. I thought that was interesting. The point at which Mimi says to Alice, why do you have to take everything from me? It was so complex. That statement in that relationship, it had a lot of depth, even though there was, was not intimacy between them. I thought that was a really interesting dynamic. Yeah. I feel like Alice didn't understand Mimi at all. I felt like she didn't understand the animosity that she felt from Mimi. And she thought, Hey, I'm, Hey, I'm doing you a favor. Like I'm watching your kid for you. who's not exactly easy to watch while you write this book. And I just, I feel like we didn't really get to see inside Mimi's soul too much, but I could definitely, from an outside perspective, I felt like I understood what Alice was kind of, what was going over Alice's head, that Mimi wants to be like that she has been the end all and be all for Frank her entire life, his entire life. And here Alice comes in and is able to strike up a relationship with Frank. And I think there's just a worry that Mimi isn't going to be good enough to maintain the relationship that she currently has with Frank. And I think just the insecurity on Mimi's part that I don't know that Alice really fully understood. I felt like Alice didn't understand because she was so young. 
Although she was mature in the book and they somehow thought she was Frank's mother, she was like 24. So there's a lot of there's a lot of human experience she still hasn't come into contact with, or I guess the human condition she still hasn't mm-hmm. come into contact with. I did think it was interesting, though, that Mimi doesn't come across as a very warm character and even someone who really maybe would be gravitated toward motherhood in general. And so the, the fact that we learned that she actually must have sought out motherhood because she had a sperm donor you know like that's not that's not accidental you know I I thought that was interesting that it was really important for her to become a mother and I kind of wonder what you might have thought about her motivation or what had happened maybe in her past that had kind of influenced her desire to be a mother now if I'm not mistaken mistaken Mimi's mother was cold toward her yes so I think she wanted to do it better She wanted to be the mother that she didn't have. And I think she wanted someone to love her. That's fair because we did talk about a lot of people or everyone in her life had left, had died, essentially. She didn't have anybody. I agree with you. I think she did want to do it better. And I I think she did want to have someone else in this life that loved her. Do you think that Mimi was an improvement upon her own mother? Yes, she loved Frank. She was unconventional, but Frank seemed to feel he could depend on her. Not necessarily Mm -hmm. during her book writing process, but he loved her. So I don't know that he would feel fond of her if she wasn't taking care of him. And she was very protective Mm -hmm. of him. What about Xander, kind of where he comes in? That was such a random relationship or addition because, Mm -hmm. I mean, I guess had he been consistent, maybe uh, Alice would have been unnecessary. I don't, Mm -hmm. I just, I thought it was crazy that he would just disappear. Mm -hmm. And I definitely thought he was imaginary at first. Oh, really? That's an interesting thought. Because they were somewhere and Frank's like, oh, I just saw Xander. I think they were at the museum. I feel the author wanted us to think he was possibly imaginary. That's a good point. I hadn't thought about that. I had thought about, I mean, I thought there was going to be so many twists in this book and there were zero twists. First, I thought he was going to be Frank's dad. And then I had a thought that maybe he was actually Frank's older brother that Mm. he didn't know. Like it was a a brother that, that a son that Mimi had had long before Frank was born. But none of that is true. No, he was not. just a friend who, I guess she, my understanding was that she kind of reached out to him because he reminded her, a lo- like in looks at least, of her brother Julian. Mm-hmm. And he felt like he needed somebody to reach out to him because he was in depression following the death of his sister. Right. You'll have to remind me what happened. I believe he was, I think they were like doing donuts oh, in the yes, car or something. For her birthday. On her birthday. And then basically they got into a car accident he broke his arm but she died lord i don't know so no i don't know if i could go on if something like that happened so i can see why he would be hesitant to get close to people maybe he feels he doesn't deserve to have that happiness and stability because his sister won't be able to experience it if they didn't say that specific thing in the in the book i definitely think that you know mimi and xander were able to lean on each other in that way because i think at that time mimi didn't have anyone either and she was trying to and she was in shock because she had all this fame that maybe she didn't really want but what she really wanted was her brother and her mom but didn't have those people and so and she felt the guilt for her brother julian killing himself too so i think they connected on that level of feeling that level of guilt for losing the person that they love the most in the world i can see that too i of course that certainly did not cross my mind but yeah Maybe she felt that she was responsible because she denied her brother. She didn't she? She kind of tried to ignore. He came by when she was at school and wanted him to wanted her to basically forge her name on a signature for him to join up with the Braves and she wouldn't do it. And she kind of said, I'm done helping you out and living your life for you kind of or had just kind of said not now. Come back later. I'm I'm busy. I I felt like he was hurt that she didn't tell them she had a brother oh that was the other thing right she had kind of she was embarrassed by him to a certain extent because she had she had been living for him for so often and then she kind of had her own life at college and she wanted to kind of have that and then he comes walking in and they didn't know he even existed and and then she wouldn't sign the paper for him so you probably felt like he had nothing at that point Mm -hmm. i can't imagine meeting my brother's friends and them not knowing that I exist. That would feel pretty stark. At this very moment, I'm thinking about how I have a sister who didn't know I existed. Tell me more about but that. But she knew everyone else. So my dad has 
six children, and I had never met the oldest until I moved to North Carolina with my husband. And she lived in Rock Hill, South Carolina. And she told me about how when she met my brother, he was telling her about me and she didn't know who I was. Mind you, she knew who everybody else was younger than me, but my mm-hmm. dad had conveniently left out that I existed. And what was that experience like? That was really hurtful, especially because I felt rejected by my dad anyway. I felt like I wasn't good enough. So for him to just completely act like I didn't exist because I'm not, I wasn't who he wanted to me, wanted me to be at that age, at that time. And I think I was six, 17. It was hurtful. I, at that age, I took a lot of those things personal and I mm-hmm. internalized it as opposed to saying, Hey, nobody's gonna, it's not my responsibility to be, to have this relationship. Like we have to have it together. But anyway, mm-hmm. only hearing, only thinking about how that must have felt for, I don't know where her brother's name was. Am I Julian? Julian am I kind of thinking about how that should have felt to me at the time? Instead of me just feeling like guilty or unwanted. Mm-hmm. You internalized the guilt is what yes. you're saying. And maybe he did too. And maybe that was part of why. I mean, I think I think he recognized, Julian recognized that Mimi had done so much for him over the years, right? And so maybe he was feeling a level of guilt as well. That he was, that he had, he apparently that she didn't feel it was... It was important for him, her to share that he existed and that he was, she, she was pushing him away. I don't know. That could have been a level, that uh, could have been another emotion mm-hmm. he was feeling. So you didn't find out that you had a sister until you were in your late twenties is what essentially what you're saying. Oh, you but always knew. I didn't knew. meet her until I was 26, Oh, you didn't meet her. Six, I guess. But she didn't know about you. She knew after the day she met my brother and she met him when I was 17. Oh, okay. So she it. had come to St. Louis, even though we didn't live in St. Louis. So my dad was going to go see her she had never been to visit him at his home in southeast missouri Mm. my mom knew he was going they were not married and she wanted him to take me with him but he told her there was no room for me to go with him and Mm. but he took my brother who Mm. is a year younger than my sister so when my brother was you know getting acquainted with her he was telling her about me and she was like who and so when I met her she kind of confessed it to me like I had never even heard of you she didn't know that I knew that Mm -hmm. and so she told me in a way that was like sorry to say that just tells you a little bit about my dad (laughs) yeah yeah I I remember meeting your sister at your baby shower yeah because she came with you I forgot you were I well I didn't forget it's not like I thought about everybody else being there right (laughs) but I just like it was a blur forgot you got to be a part of that (laughs) yeah that was fun I want to talk a little bit about autism because you mentioned it earlier and Frank was never given a specific diagnosis of autism in the book and at the back of the book in my copy at least there was sort of a question and answer with the author and it talked about essentially that was intentional on her part to not give him a diagnosis of autism because she kind of wanted us to know Frank as an individual and not as a label. What do you think of that choice on the author's part? I agree. I think it allowed me to embrace Frank as Frank. Although the whole time I was thinking this kid's autistic, they don't seem to know that. What year is this? Right. I didn't immediately think of, oh, this is a kid with autism. And, you know, just Mm -hmm. automatically attribute his personality to him without letting the author show me his personality mm-hmm. what do you think well I also think autism is such it's one of those again really broad catchment labels that they, they talk about in a spectrum and and it just it manifests so differently individually so that I think it's like it's one of those things where just saying autism and thinking you know exactly what that child is like or that person is like that adult is like just doesn't even it's not even like if that's not a good measurement it's not a good way of understanding because autism is so diverse but so I like I liked that she also um it's been a long time since I've read To Kill a Mockingbird um I I assume you read Mm -hmm. it sometime in high school or or whatever but she also thought about the character Boo Radley who was kind of reclusive and he was an adult living with his parents and and she thought that potentially his character autism may never may not have been something that was diagnosed or recognized in the 60s but that he may have had some kind of tendencies like that so she just kind of thought it was interesting I, I think she kind of made the connection between different literary characters who had unique qualities and unique abilities that were needed in the moment but maybe didn't follow the conventional standards of what we expect human behavior to be so 
is interesting. So definitely Frank had a ton of eccentricities. What did you think of the way that Mimi, Xander, and Alice all dealt with those? I felt like they dealt with them in very different ways. They didn't really seem burdened by his eccentricities. They were, they accepted him and they knew how to manage them. They didn't seem to resent that he needed so much special care. So I like that. What about the decision? So um, there comes a point in the book where principal of Frank's school basically says he needs to conform and be a quote unquote normal kid or else I'm kicking him out. And Mimi decides, she has a conversation with the principal and she decides, you know what? My son needs to go to school. So I'm buying him t-shirts and t-shirts and jeans and, and quote unquote regular kid clothing. And he has to conform because he has to go to school. And Frank hated this. He felt like it was, you know, he felt like it was, it was everything against his personality and against who he was. And Alice decides that instead of forcing him to go to school like that, she would just let him skip school. <laughs> What do you think of, so to me, it was these two different kinds of choices that impact Frank's life. And Mimi is his mother, but Alice has this other relationship with him. What do you think about that? I feel like this is like a five fold question. So (laughs) let me try to answer. I do think it was appropriate to take Frank out of school. I don't feel it's appropriate for Alice to do it. But the fact that Mimi was so disengaged that Alice was able to take her child out of school is the real problem. I was sad that Mimi felt it was worth it to to acquiesce to this principal. And I was really disappointed in that principal, especially being a doctor. I know he wasn't a medical doctor, but I would expect him to have more awareness of of mental conditions of his students or he should be more aware of what sort of special needs kids sure. have so I was really disappointed about that maybe he was one of those like 31 year olds that just got his <laughs> PhD but has mainly spent but even still so, a PhD Oh my goodness. That's a high level to be ignorant. But anyway, so I was really disappointed in that. I was disappointed that Mimi acquiesced. But I understood. I think she just wanted, she wanted him to be normal for his own sake too. Because she's a lot older than other parents. So she's probably thinking she's not always going to be around. And it would help him if he just was a normal member of society. Which Mm -hmm. I also think is part of, possibly part of why she had him so that she could be normal. Hmm. That's interesting. Kind of normalized her life a little Mm bit. Did you think that Mimi was on the autism spectrum? No, I just thought she was bitter and have has had to defend herself against the fame and was not mm-hmm. meant to be famous and is resentful. Mm-hmm. I just thought she was angry. And there were times where I felt like she didn't quite empathize with people in the way that I would expect people without autism to empathize with people, but I don't know. If she was on the spectrum, it was on, you know, sort of on the fringe edge of it, I feel like. But maybe that was just her mama bear coming out in a way that seemed like she didn't care about anything but her son. When you say she didn't empathize with people, what are you thinking about? When she, like, freaked out on Alice over not following the rules. Just, like, kind of shutting herself away and becoming a recluse. Was not empathizing. The way she interacted with Alice, I do feel like, was not empathetic. But but again, maybe that was just her protectiveness and her defensiveness of someone coming in and stealing her son's affection. So maybe that was what I was reading into it. Or reading into that was her, like, she didn't care to know her name. She didn't care. I don't know. But maybe that's not really, now that I think about it, that's not really autistic type behavior. just kind of seemed like she was she was just so cold and distant from everyone i think that's more uh, conditioning Mm -hmm. from trauma maybe even a defense mechanism maybe she's had people get close to her only Mm -hmm. because she is she was emanating was there any hidden meaning meaning in the fact that they live in a glass house i thought it was peculiar that she's a person who wanted her anonymity but moved into a glass house what was she thinking maybe she didn't actually want to be anonymous but when she was recognized or people had access to her she mm-hmm. couldn't handle it or maybe she wanted one-way glass where she could see out and not people people couldn't see in or maybe her not anonymity desires came as a result of 
of she didn't realize maybe what her fame would give her and maybe she thought she wanted to live in this glass house until until later when she realized the problems that came with it yeah like people want to be famous until they are yeah <laughs> i don't want to be famous i just want to be rich <laughs> <laughs> i'll take rich i yeah fame i could i could live without I, I but think i want notoriety but i don't i okay. would never want to be a celebrity i i will say a secret like dream of mine is being asked to be interviewed on npr wow <laughs> what would you be Isn't interviewed funny? for in your dream like I always think about it as like a book I've read written not read <laughs> that'd be funny uh, a book I've written or like maybe if I were a professor of something I'd be called in to be an expert on something that's kind of where that's where it ends but yeah mo- mostly for like a if I were an author which I probably will never be an author because I have I don't really have any stories to tell at this point so hey it only takes one feverish night of sleep to dream the next <laughs> Fifty Shades of Grey. Isn't that how she, didn't she say she had a dream or was that Twilight? Honestly, I don't know, but I could see it for either. <laughs> I think it was could, Fifty Shades I, of Grey. No, but yeah. that story is more normal. I don't know. One of those uh, well, was a dream. Well, well, Twilight, well, Fifty Shades of Grey is a fan fiction of Twilight. What? It's, it is a parallel, a fan fiction of Twilight. Yes. Oh my gosh. If you read it that, like, there's a lot of similarities. That's the way, that's the way I understood it was. No. Unless yeah. you dream. You should read it. it again. Hey. Okay. <laughs> First of all, when I read Fifty Shades of Grey, and I'm a cultured person, like, I'm no prude, but I could not get through those sex scenes. I had to skip. I was actually, like, physically reading that one. I had to just skip it. So you basically read, like, four pages. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man. I had mentioned earlier that there weren't a lot of surprises. Like, I kind of kept expecting, like, a twist, and there wasn't. But there were a few unexpected developments, and I wondered if any of them surprised you or if you maybe thought that there were going to be some more twists and turns that would happen but that didn't happen. No, I felt this was a story about the story. It was a story because of the characters. So I didn't expect there to be something crazy because it was more of like, watch these relationships, watch this child in this Mm -hmm. household. But I think we will both say we were surprised to learn or maybe you weren't surprised to learn that Frank had saved the manuscript. That was a surprise for me. Yeah. Yes. And that was cool that he had like this archive room where he had been like storing things. And it was like this little bunker that he yeah. had. He made me feel inadequate. I'm like, I aspire to be a classy person, but he had so much class, mm-hmm. even though he couldn't remember Alice's name. That part was so funny to me. That was so endearing how he had to write it down. And then when he met Mr. Vargas, he kept just like having this like brain like freeze where it's like, uh, that guy, yeah. we left that guy behind, like our friend, we left our friend behind. <laughs> Um, that was really endearing that he couldn't remember names very well. Whereas Mimi not remembering Alice's name, calling her Penny, was just rude. <laughs> it was just throwing some shade yes. at her, really. Yeah. So we were surprised by that. We were surprised that what's his I'm about to say what's his name? <laughs> our, our good friend. We were surprised that Frank knew that Mimi was leaving. I was surprised. I'm like, you yeah. knew she was gone this whole time. I know. I was like, Frank, right. hello. Have you not been understanding what we're talking about? But what you may find more surprising that I was surprised about is that Fiona, I was surprised that he made friends with the girl at school, Fiona. Mm. And then I was mm-hmm. surprised it wasn't real. Yeah. Yeah, that was crazy. And it just kind of showed like almost how sad he yeah, was, he you know, that. that he was making up imaginary friends. He can remember her name. That was really sad. It was sad. And the fact that she bullied him. Kids are the worst. I'm going to try really hard to make mine not the worst. I was also the whole time expecting a reveal on Frank's father. And so when he he revealed basically that he was a sperm donor, anonymous sperm donor, that was a surprise to me. And it was kind of funny because he had talked about when they were in the museums and like something was, had been given by an anonymous donor. He's like, that's my father. And it, it, you know, I'll click that like, the words anonymous donor are who his father is to him because that's what so it was kind of interesting and kind of fun what that's crazy i didn't pick up on that my husband would be like yeah see (laughs) (laughs) there are other reasons no he thinks i'm on the spectrum but the thing is i used to think he was on the spectrum so it's like neither of us are one to judge although i don't think i'm on the spectrum (laughs) You know, theoretically, we're all on the spectrum. We just, you know what I mean? So I don't know. 
But, but um, yeah, that is so sad and clever. I guess he knew he had a donor. I don't know how he found that out. Yeah, I mean, I guess it was in some paperwork or something. Because he basically, Frank, it sounded like this archive room that he had. He was just like kind of squirreling things away archive, from Mimi. Archive room. I call that a junk drawer. <laughs> well, you My know, this is a big junk drawer. I'm going to start calling it. <laughs> Just this archives. It's, you know, it's history in the making. <laughs> Were there any surprises about Xander? I thought Xander was married. And I admittedly mm-hmm. missed what happened between Xander and Alice. Like, I knew that they were having a sexual relationship, but I don't know how it stopped. I missed that part. Oh, gosh, I have to remember other than I think they just kind of, I think she suspected him of having another relationship and it kind of just fell away. And he kind of, and he just basically left. Like, he was kind of saying, hey, I need to move on. And he kind of quit coming around. And then when he, he just kind of kept being less reliable, I guess. And I think they disagreed a little bit on with Frank, just the way he was being raised. You might remember this. Frank used a word to describe Xander, but I cannot think of it. He said his something father figure. Itinerant. That's the word. I'm looking at my dictionary app. He said he had my itinerant father figure. And that's the first time I'd heard that word. It means traveling from place to place, (laughs) especially covering a circuit. I don't. Do you know that word? Um, So no. Maybe it's a preacher. I might have heard about itinerant preachers. Actually, when I look at the definition, it says itinerant preacher as an example but i don't use it in a daily basis no but you bet i will yearly basis <laughs> and no one <laughs> will understand will. what i'm talking about <laughs> That's i great. talked to somebody That's with a good point. vocabulary today and it was refreshing because i have a good vocabulary and i always have to edit myself <laughs> I'm glad you had someone who could understand you on your level. We kind of unpacked some of the baggage about Mimi's guilt about Julian and Xander's guilt about his sister. Alice mentions quite a bit about her dad leaving her family early on in her childhood. How do you think that impacted her experience with Frank and Mimi? I... I would imagine she was hesitant to leave. That's probably why she got so emotionally invested. But at the same time, how can you not get emotionally mm-hmm. invested when you're sole provider, the, basically? Or yeah. Caregiver. You're a parent for that pa- child, mm-hmm. yeah. I don't remember what happened with her dad. He just basically left. Didn't he, like, start a new family somewhere mm-hmm. else? Do you remember the part where Frank was looking for his mom? And you know how he, mm-hmm. he obliterated the cake and was like, well, not in here. Didn't you yeah. think he was insane? I was like, he's so smart, but he would think she, like, shape-shifted into a particle of flour. Yeah. I don't even know what he was thinking at that but moment. But when you find um, out that he knew that she was gone, he knew she left a note. Yeah. So he was looking for the note. Oh. Okay. I don't think I put that together. That's what he was looking for, was the note, not her. Oh, the fire was a surprise, even though there was some foreshadowing. I was really surprised, and I can only imagine how Mimi felt. I would have been, I would have been trying to get back in there. Yeah. Oh my gosh, oh my that gosh. would have broken my brain. Yeah. Well, and I just think, I guess to me, it just, Xander was not, like, despite him being Frank's itinerant father, he was not a good father figure, and the fact that he thought that fireworks were a good thing to give Frank to me just showed how little he understood Frank to a certain extent. I I don't know. That was kind of weird. Yes, I think that was meant to show something profound about Xander's about who Xander was, but I cannot draw that conclusion at this time. <laughs> it was definitely reckless, but he was reckless. Yeah. Then that got me worried. Like, is my child going to try to burn stuff down? <laughs> don't give him fireworks. I'm just kidding. Mm. What w- did you have any like major takeaways from this book? For me, this was a- another exposure to the human condition, as I mentioned before, and the types of relationships people have and what they go through. Some books to me are for that. Give you an example of another person's life. I don't know if I realized autism was hereditary, but they mentioned it in the book that Mimi's father may have been autistic. I don't know that that's proven yet. I mean, I do think, I think there is some... I think it's multifactorial, as most things are. I did also, I did come away with the fact that if you have a job and you do an excellent job, somebody may rescue you and have you work for them with benefits. (laughs) That would be nice. Mm -hmm. The whole time I kept thinking, how much is she getting paid? When does she get a day off? (laughs) And I wonder if they ate those chocolate hearts that he got for Valentine's Day. I'm so obsessed with candy, but that's... While I'm doing this diet, which is the whole 30, I'm sure some of you have done it before. I'm I'm getting used to the con like considering the concept that I don't 
need to eat sweets every day or even every week. I can just, I don't have to have 100 grams of sugar every mm-hmm. single day or all the time. That can just be like an occasional thing instead of a regular thing. Talk to me in three weeks after the diet's over. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's funny. I am kind of horrified over the amount of sugar I've been consuming because I was eating sweets every day. Really? Yes. I'm kind of surprised by that. Although you're a good baker. I am. That is something. That's not really what I was eating. I'm just in 2019 has not been my year, you guys. <laughs> and so <laughs> I've not, I have not rehinged since getting pregnant in 2017. So I'm hoping mm. that this diet will help me to go back to who I was, which is a person that doesn't eat sweets every single day. I believe you can do Thank it. Thank you. If anybody can, it's Thank you. Thank you. I can do it. <laughs> I actually, I think that um, no longer breastfeeding is helping me feel like my old self. Um, did you have like nutrition, like extra, because like, obviously when you're breastfeeding, you have extra nutrition needs. Did you find yourself needing more candy, like craving yes. high calories and stuff like that? I don't know. I ate a lot. I'm sure I ate too much because I didn't lose any weight. I mean, I've lost weight obviously since giving birth, but I'm not where I want to be. Mm-hmm. Breastfeeding mm-hmm. didn't have that effect on me because I already eat a lot. Mm-hmm. So I've always, when I was in college, I was a track and field athlete. I was a thrower, although I'm not a big person. We used to call it eating, eat big, eating big. So I ate big when I was in college because I wanted to put on muscle mass. So I've always eaten a lot, but I was always very active. And then I went through pregnancy eating what I wanted and I was no longer present, pregnant, still eating what I wanted, eating big. And, but not moving nearly as much. So I guess it was like, I always ate big. Pregnancy made me eat what I wanted big and I wasn't Mm -hmm. moving as much (laughs) afterwards. So now I've, I've view myself closer to my old self because I'm not nursing all day. So I feel like my mind's in the space to go back to my old good habits. Brianna, now is the time where we like to give recommendations to our listeners about what is making us happy. So I'm going to ask you, Brianna, what is making you happy lately that you'd like to share with our listeners? In terms of media or entertainment, I have a few things. So I'm listening to this podcast, which is also a YouTube series called Righteous and Ratchet. It is a podcast with Christian comedian Kev on stage and Doughboy. So they talk about pop culture and it's just really silly but also wholesome and they're comedians so it's funny I enjoy that and then I told you some of what I've been watching on YouTube but there's also this tasty series with Rie who is one of the tasty producers and she has a little series called make it fancy and she does this dance make it fancy so she'll take some crappy food like spam and make it into a fancy dish so I've been enjoying that a lot again I am on a diet so there's that and I recommend (laughs) the whole 30 diet start thinking about it if it sounds terrible to you just keep thinking about it and maybe you will find yourself saying no to butter and canola oil because I don't think you're supposed to have canola oil I've definitely had canola oil And I ate popcorn kind of by accident the other day and my stomach was upset. So Mm. it's the real deal. And what are your recommendations for us? Yeah. So um, when I'm not infinitely preferring a book, I am infinitely preferring Netflix uh, most of the time because I kind of, I like to sit on my butt a lot. Um, But I am just watching Queer Eye on Netflix. It's super fun and super heartwarming. They did two, they've, there's now the four, four seasons on Netflix. The first two seasons are shot in Atlanta and the last two seasons are shot actually in Kansas City area, which is kind of cool because I've lived in Missouri for most of my life. Um, so kind of have, have a connection there, but just a really great kind of heartwarming makeover show. I just love in general transformation shows. And so like, I especially love home renovation transformation shows but queer I feel like is a great personal transformation another one that I have just started watching I've only watched an episode or two of is I believe it's called the tiny house movement or something like that it's basically the tiny house renovation show it's a Netflix original I'll put the actual name of the title in the show notes it's 
kind of escaping me right now. But those two, I, I just enjoy um, watching transformations. That's it. What are you watching That's on Netflix? That's interesting because I'm wondering what that means about you. I like transforma- transformations too, but do you want to be transformed? I guess is the question. Do I want to be transformed? Mm, maybe. I mean, I think there's, al- there's always some like a, a hope for betterment and improvement. Mm-hmm. But I think there's just something about, you know, it's refreshing to see things that are in disarray or in disrepair like come into a new life and it's kind of exciting okay so on netflix i've been watching working moms which uh left me on the edge of my seat and then on hbo i've been watching big little lies season two also black lady sketch show a black lady sketch show just came out on friday and i've really been enjoying that it's hbo so the production value is excellent and it's funny introducing me to me to some uh, black female comedians so a, a black lady sketch show and big little lies is so much better than the first season although i enjoyed the first season and i've read the book like three times i like what they're doing with the second season i have not watched i don't have hbo so i haven't watched any of that Girl, but me neither i have heard good things about big little lies i'm missing out just See if somebody will trade you pan of brownies for their login for one weekend. <laughs> <laughs> I'll have to wait until you're off of Whole30 before I I try to make well, that deal with thing. you. My husband posted on Facebook about he needed to watch End of Game of Thrones or something. And so he posted asking for somebody's login and I shared it. And then someone was like, you can definitely use mine. So that's what we've been using. But my husband put it on his cell phone and we use Chromecast to cast from the phone to the TV. And I can't like watch HBO when he's not here. (laughs) But for some reason... If he starts it and drives away, it'll still play. So that's how I've gotten to watch it this week. Well, Brianna, it's been real fun catching up with you again and reading this book with you. I really appreciate um, you taking the time to do that with me and taking the time to be on the podcast with me. It's been fun. Thanks for being it on the podcast. It has been fun. I always like talking to you, Catherine. And if anybody wants to talk to me or hear me talk to dead air, I guess, <laughs> Go to my blog and read my blog, brideonbase.com, and you can participate, interact with me on Instagram at brideonbase, and that's bride like bride and groom. Awesome. Very cool. I encourage everyone to take a look because your blog is awesome. Oh, so that's really so great. <laughs> well, thanks for having me, Catherine. Thank you, Brianna, and thanks to you listeners for tuning in to another episode of Infinitely Prefer a Book. You can reach out to me on Instagram at infinitelyprefer-a-book or through email at infinitelyprefer-a-book at gmail.com. Next month's book will be Maybe You Should Talk to Someone by Lori Gottlieb. Welcome to Bride on Base. This is a personal development podcast for military spouses, mainly the new ones. I'm Brianna Weldon. I used to be an army wife. Now I'm candidly reflecting on my experiences and sharing what I think you need to know. This season, we'll be discussing ways to live better, have fun, make money, and we'll hear from a few spouses about topics that may help you grow. Subscribe to the podcast and follow me at Bride on Base on Instagram. You can also join the newsletter at BrideOnBase.com. You tracking? Talk soon.